There's a New Testament principle that we're going to look at here. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 6 and 7 says, These things were our examples. Verse, um, 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says, All these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition. Now, that's not our text this morning, but what I'm trying to bring out is that God gave us the Old Testament as examples and admonition for our learning, for our benefit. And, you know, from time to time, you'll hear a, uh, a how-to message. I think looking at examples of Bible characters is a great way for us to learn how-to or how-not-to. And I've heard a lot of you know, different how-to messages during, through the years. This morning, I'm going to come at it from a little bit different angle. I preached something very similar to this about six years ago. If I hadn't told you that, probably nobody would remember. Most of you weren't here then. And, um, but I want to preach a message this morning. I hope you'll listen in the spirit that it's offered. But this is, what I want. This is my how-to message for you this morning. How to ruin a ministry in seven easy steps. We're going to look at the life of Saul from the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 9, and the last thing we're going to reference will go all the way through 1 Samuel 28. So obviously we're not going verse by verse. We're just drawing lessons from things that I hope are familiar. But if the Bible has given us examples, if Paul told Timothy, be thou an example of the believers in word, conversation, charity, spirit, faith, purity, then we are to look at the lives of others and glean from those things. So I think in the life of Saul, we see both some positive and some negative, but I'm going to do it this way this morning, just hopefully to get your attention, you know, how to ruin a ministry in seven easy steps. Number one, how to ruin a ministry, fail to build on a good start. You want to ruin a ministry, fail to build on a good start. In 1 Samuel chapter 9, when we first meet Samuel, uh, Saul says, hey, God wants to do something with you. In 1 Samuel 9 verse 21, Saul answered and said, am not I a Benjamite? of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Wherefore then speakest thou so to me? When we first meet Saul, he was very humble. He was obedient. His father had sent him to look for lost animals, and that's what he was doing. So he was off to a good start. In chapter 10, when that was made public to Israel, in chapter 10, verse 22, when they cast lots and then they were looking for Saul, they couldn't find him. Where was he eventually located? Hiding in the stuff. He wasn't out promoting himself and I'm the man and look at me and all this kind of stuff. He was hiding among the stuff. In 1 Samuel chapter 11, his first major victory, the Bible says that the Spirit of God came upon him and gave him a great victory over the Ammonites. So he started out in humility. He started out with a dependence on the Lord and recognizing that God was in fact the source of his victory. I hope you're there. I hope you realize, okay, I, whatever the Lord wants me to do, I can't do it. I need the Lord's help. I hope you realize that whatever good happens comes from the Lord. Saul started off that way, but he didn't end up that way. By the end of his life, was that still his attitude? You know, I'm nobody and, and I've got to have the Lord's help or I can't do it. No, in fact, Saul's track record was very different from that, wasn't it? He started well and then he deviated. What's the most uh, obvious example probably in American culture of starting something and not following through? Probably New Year's resolutions, right? That's almost a, um, a stereotype, a New Year's resolution. I'm going to start something. 
in that case, usually it's something I know I ought to do that I haven't been doing, but I'm going to say I'm going to start doing it, and we'll see how long I stick with it. But I read something interesting that when, you know, workout places, gym memberships, gym memberships pretty much count on the fact that not everybody that pays a membership is going to use it. Most gyms can only hold about 10% of the people that they have, mem- of the memberships that they need to fund the operations. Now, obviously, people are going to come some in the morning, some in the afternoon, whatever, but they're pretty much counting on the fact that people are going to pay for a gym membership and not use it all the time. We think about that and kind of, yeah, yeah, whatever. But if you want to ruin a life, you want to ruin a ministry, start something, say you're going to do something, and then don't follow through. That's a good way to ruin a ministry. Number two, how to ruin a ministry. Number two, take credit. For somebody else's victories. In chapter 13 of 1 Samuel, if you want to turn over a page or two, in chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through 4, we have a little story. I'm going to pick it up in verse 3. Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba. And the Philistines heard of it, and Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And what did they hear? Verse 4, all Israel heard that who had smitten the garrison of the Philistines? Saul. Who smote the garrison? Jonathan. Okay, now, you could say, well, you know, he's the leader and and is a representative of the country and all that, but I think that's a pattern. In chapter 14, we had the same thing again. Jonathan and his armor bearer attacked another garrison of the Philistines, and there was a big commotion. They're trying to figure out what was going on, and once Saul figured out what was going on and the Philistines were defeated, he started leading from behind and said, well, let me get in on this. And he he said, nobody's going to stop to even take a lunch break. In 1 Samuel 14, 24, he said that was going to be done, that I may be avenged of mine enemies. Saul was very insecure. Even before David comes onto the scene, Saul was very insecure. He couldn't stand for somebody else to be given credit for things, and he didn't even give God credit for things when it should have been the case. You want to ruin a ministry? Take credit for somebody else's accomplishments. Take, you know, try to claim others' uh, achievements as your own. Or just simply you know, refuse to let anybody but yourself get credit for anything. You, don't, you realize people can see through that, right? People can see what's going on. Saul was very insecure. He had to, he had to get his name out there when Jonathan was the one in both instances that had acted by faith. And had asked for the Lord's help to go and attack the enemies of God. Saul was an insecure person. Now, after chapter 13, you know, when God said, look, I'm going to replace you, I understand why he started looking over his shoulder a little bit. But that is not the way to be a good leader. That is not the way to build a ministry that will be receiving a well-done, good and faithful servant. Number three, again here in 1 Samuel 13, how to ruin a ministry. Number three, presume upon God. Look at verse number eight. He, Saul, tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. Now what does it mean to presume? To presume means to assume too much in your own favor. Okay, To assume that it'll be okay, I can do this. All right, to presume too much in your own favor in the dorms means this. 
I'm sure they won't mind if I get into their snack bucket, because I'm really hungry, <laughs> without having express written permission, you know, signed, you know, in triplicate, signed in blood. How's that going to go for you? You just assume, oh, well, I'm sure they won't mind if I use their computer. I'm sure that they left their keys here. I'm sure they won't mind if I borrow their car. What is that? That is assuming too much in my own favor, right? That's the idea of presumption. The Old Testament word that's used for presumption in Psalm 19, 13, uh, David said, keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sin." The word presumptuous comes from a root word that means to boil or boil up. What is it that's boiling up inside of a person that makes them assume too much in their own favor? Pride, arrogance, you know, too high of an opinion of oneself. If I think too highly of myself, then I'm just going to assume, well, it'll be okay because I'm me. Who in the Old Testament was given the duties and the privilege to offer sacrifices? The priests. The only exception to that, that we have an example where God accepted a sacrifice that was offered for somebody that wasn't a priest, was the prophets. Samuel, Elijah, Elisha, you know, different ones of them offered a sacrifice and God accepted it. But the priests and the prophets, did Saul fall into either one of those categories? No, he didn't. And yet, he presumed that, well, It'll be okay. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to step up and I'm going to do this. This wasn't really an act of leadership on Saul's part. This was an act of fear. Why did he, what was his motivation? Verse 8, he saw that the people were scattered from him. He was afraid everything was going to fall apart. What he had, had he specifically been told in the previous verses? You wait till I get there. You wait seven days till I get there. And then when I get there, we'll offer a sacrifice and we'll ask God to help us. And then we'll fight the enemies of the Lord. Saul decided he was not going to wait. He was going to take matters into his own hands. You want to ruin your life? Want to ruin your ministry? Take matters into your own hands instead of waiting on the Lord. That's a great way to make a giant mess out of your life. That's exactly what Saul did. What was the result here when Saul did this? In verse 13 of 1 Samuel 13, Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now will the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people. Because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. How did it work out for him taking matters into his own hands? Not well at all. But if you want to make a mess, presume. Assume too much in your own favor. Act in fear instead of in faith, all right? How to ruin your ministry, number four, make selfish decisions. Make selfish decisions. Saul was really, really good at that. I already mentioned one of them in 1 Samuel 14, verse 24. He said, nobody's going to stop to eat anything today. You're not going to waste any time. You're going to chase my enemies, that I may be avenged on mine enemies. Now, was that brilliant? Is that a great way to have his soldiers operating at peak efficiency you know, and maximum endurance by having them operate on fasting? No. In fact, it's going to have the exact opposite effect. It's going to cause them to be weaker. It's going to cause them to fight less effectively. In fact, it was a stumbling block and a temptation to them because as soon as the sun went down, they started eating the meat with the blood. They were so hungry, they were ignoring 
the Mosaic law and how they were preparing their food. Saul acted selfishly. I guarantee you that incident did not increase his stature in the sight of the people. In chapter 15, verse number 12, it says that Saul set up a place. He set himself up a monument or a memorial. Well, what about Saul's interaction with his daughter? In 1 Samuel 18, his daughter Michael was of marrying age and he was going to find her a husband. So he prayed about it and he really sought God on what is the best match for my daughter. True or false? Oh, that's obviously false. He was like, hmm, I have, I have the perfect bait to put in this trap to catch David. You say, that's awful. Yeah, but that's exactly what he did. When he took his daughter Michael and made her the bait to try to get David killed by the Philistines, he said, you can marry my daughter if you kill a hundred Philistines and bring me proof. He was trying to get the Philistines to kill David so he didn't have to. You think that made his daughter feel loved and appreciated? Dad, thank you so much. I love how you always have my best interest at heart. You're really looking out for me. No. In fact, Michael ended up marrying David. And because Michael was so much like her daddy, she tipped David off to some of his future tricks, right? But he did not engender love and respect and serving God together in his family by the decisions that he made. Not only did he offend his daughter, he offended his son. In chapter 19, Jonathan interceded for David and he promised, all right, yeah, David will be safe. And then when David shows up, based on that promise, Saul throws a javelin at him. In chapter 20, in 1 Samuel chapter 20, uh, beginning in verse number 30, we see another uh, illustration of this. Uh, Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said unto him, Thou son of the perverse, rebellious woman. Now let's just call time out right there. Is that a great way to build family unity? Is that a great way to to build respect? Let me correct you, son, by insulting your mama. That's a great way to get somebody to listen to you, isn't it? Obviously not. In no way, shape, or form is this having a productive effect. But how was Saul operating right here? What does the first line say? Saul's anger was kindled. He was operating in anger... And he's making an even bigger mess, okay? He begins to insult Jonathan's mother. Thou son of the perverse, rebellious woman, do not I know thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion and to confusion thy mother's nakedness? As long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established. What's he doing? He's acting selfishly. He knows that God's going to replace him with a man better than him, and he doesn't care. He's trying to put his son on the throne anyway. He knows that Jonathan and David are best friends and he is willing to kill his son's best friend to get what he wants. You want to ruin your life? Want to ruin a ministry? Act selfishly when you make make your decisions on the basis of selfishness. That has wide application, doesn't it? It has applications in how events are planned, how money is spent, how uh, services are structured, how you spend your work time, how you spend your off time. Just be selfish instead of what's best for others and what's best for the ministry, what's best for the work of God. What's another way Saul was selfish? Well, he wasted resources on personal pursuits. He's the king of the country. 
And he's got his army out there chasing David through all the caves and wilderness holes and all the hiding spots all over the country. You think that really served to increase his polling numbers? His favorability rating? Did that serve to increase his respect in the eyes of the people of Israel? Because he's out there with 3,000 men chasing David all over the countryside? No. In fact, he is allowing things to deteriorate. Because he was doing that, it allowed attacks from other enemies, knowing that their king was distracted and Israel's attacked from other directions. He was literally tearing his own country apart. People were trying to tip him off where David was to get on Saul's good side. Other people are siding with David and resenting Saul. Because he was operating in selfishness, he's dividing his whole country. You want to ruin a life in ministry? Act selfishly. Make decisions based on selfishness. Number five, you want to ruin your ministry? Rebel against God's clearly revealed will. Rebel against God's clearly revealed will. In 1 Samuel 15, we find a very familiar passage. 1 Samuel 15, verses 22 and 23. Many of you could quote parts of that, or maybe all of that. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he also hath rejected thee from being king. If we go back and review the first part of chapter 15, God gave clear instructions. There's been many times in my life when I had to make a decision and I wish God would have given as clear instructions in my situation as He gave to Saul. Saul was told by Samuel, this is what God wants you to do. He wants you to go utterly destroy the Amalekites. The Bible says, I remember what Amalek did. That was like 300 years earlier. God said, I haven't forgotten about that and I'm going to judge them and I want you to go wipe them all out. Man, woman, child, suckling, infant, ox, ass, all of them. Wipe them out. Was it, was it ambiguous what God wanted? Not at all. It was very clear. Verse 9 tells us Saul and the people spared the best of the sheep and the best of the oxen to sacrifice. Maybe that was true. Maybe not. But was there any doubt what God's intent was? No. So Saul's choice was disobedience to God's clearly revealed will. Right? What did that do for him? That got him his second rejection. In 1 Samuel 13, Paul, uh, excuse me, Saul was rejected privately. Saul was told by Samuel, God's going to take the kingdom away from you and he's going to give it to a neighbor that's better than you. But that wasn't widely publicized. This was far more public. Here, he was told... Not going to do anything. You know, there's a public rejection here. God's not going to um, bless you anymore. In verse 23, Saul was told that his decision was rebellion and stubbornness. Both of those give the idea of pushing against, resisting. What was he resisting? He was resisting God's will. You want to make a mess out of your life? You want to make a mess out of your ministry? Be stubborn about the wrong things. Be stubborn about what you want instead of what God wants. That's a great way to make a mess. That's what Saul did. He was 
rebellious against God's clearly revealed will. When Samuel turned to go away, Saul's like, no, don't go away. Reached out and grabbed his robe and a piece of it tore off in Saul's hand. And Samuel turned around and said, the same way you just ripped my my robe, God's going to rip away the kingdom from you and give it to a neighbor that's better than you. It did not turn out well. But let me ask you this. Saul disobeyed a command of God that either he didn't like or he didn't understand. It's hard to say he didn't understand it. Maybe he didn't understand the why, but he certainly understood the what God wanted him to do, right? But if you want to be like Saul, then don't obey commands that don't make sense to you. Okay, Only obey the commands that make sense to you. Okay, Don't obey if you don't like what God told you to do. If you want to be like Saul... Don't obey if you don't want to. If you want to be like Saul, don't obey, but let somebody else talk you out of it. Well, the people talk me into keeping the sheep and the oxen and all that. Now, obviously, this is a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but don't we all face the same pressures? Do we always understand the why of all of God's commands? No. But if you only obey the ones that make sense to you, who's the authority? You are, not God. If you only obey the commands that you like, you're the authority, not God. If you only obey when you want to, that's not obedience. That's self-will. And if you can be talked out of obedience to God's will, your commitment, your resolve is not as firm as it needs to be to do what's right. You want to ruin a ministry? Rebel against God's clearly revealed will. Number six, harden yourself continually instead of repenting. Harden yourself continually instead of repenting. Did God give Saul one mistake and then say, all right, boom, you're done? Now, God did judge him for his rebellion in chapter 13, for his intrusion in the priest's office. But God gave him other opportunities to serve. How many times did God give Saul an opportunity to repent? Well, I mean, Jonathan in chapter 19 and 20 is pleading David's case. That was God giving Saul an opportunity to repent. He hardened himself. He threw a javelin at at David two or three times and even threw one at Jonathan when his anger got out of control. In chapter 24 of 1 Samuel, when he's out chasing David, that's when they end up in the same cave and David cuts off a little piece of his robe to prove that he was close enough that he could have killed him, but he didn't. And then he waves it at him and says, look, don't believe whoever's telling you I'm, I'm out for you. For your harm, I don't want to harm you. That was God giving Saul an opportunity to repent. In chapter 26, Saul's out there chasing David again. And this time they're all sleeping in the field. And David and Abishai sneak down there and take his water bottle and his uh, handgun out of the nightstand. I mean his uh, spear that was in the ground by his head. And they go back and they go up on the hill and and say, Hey, Abner, you're supposed to be the king's bodyguard. You deserve the death penalty because you didn't protect the king. That was God giving Saul an opportunity to repent. What did he do? He gave lip service to repentance. Oh, yeah, I know God's going to bless you and God's going to do great things with you, but he hardened his heart. Multiple times, Saul gave lip service to, I'm going to do what God says. All right, yeah, Jonathan, bring David back to the meal. He'll be fine. Never mind, javelin. Okay, yeah, bring him back, javelin. All right, yeah, uh, why are you sticking up behind him? Javelin at you, Jonathan. All right, yeah, David, you're fine. Never mind, let's chase David again. 
Time after time after time, Saul gave lip service to doing what God said, and yet he hardened his heart. He did not truly repent. God gave him opportunity after opportunity after, after opportunity. Okay? Proverbs 28 says this, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and what forsaketh it shall have mercy. That's what David did, right? In 2 Samuel 11 and 12, when David sinned with Bathsheba and then he was confronted by the prophet, we have Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 that clearly record David's repentance. He did the opposite of covering it up. He called it every kind of sin that he could think of, used every synonym. God, it's transgression, it's iniquity, it's wickedness, it's sin, it's evil. He confessed it and that never happened again. In fact, the testimony of God in Scripture of David is that he turned not aside from following God all the days of his life, save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Saul could have confessed and forsaken, is what I'm saying. Saul chose to give lip service and then go right back to what he was doing before, hardening his heart. Number seven, you want to ruin your ministry? Neglect the private and public worship of God. Neglect the private and public worship of God. I find this very interesting. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, when Samuel said, you rebellion says a sin of witchcraft, stubbornness is iniquity and idolatry, because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he's rejected you from being king. And he turns to go away. Saul grabs his robe, it tears. And then at the end, Saul said, okay, fine, but would you at least come honor me before the people and let's worship? And Samuel's like, okay. So they went back. Samuel offered a sacrifice. That is the last mention of worship in the book of 1 Samuel as related to Saul. How many other times do you see worship related to Saul? Not much. I mean, in chapter 13, when he overstepped his bounds and offered a sacrifice which was only for the priests or the prophets to do, that wasn't true worship, was it? Saul made bad public decisions because he had neglected the private worship of God. And then eventually he neglected the public worship of God. You get all the way over to 2 Samuel chapter 6 and 1 Chronicles chapter 13, the parallel accounts. When David wants to take the ark and set up a tent for it and bring it close to him, this is the statement. First Chronicles 13, 3, Let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. There was no emphasis on public worship during the administration of Saul as king of Israel. I mean, we're talking about God's covenant people, right? We're talking about the people that God brought out of Egypt, and yet no, men- no mention of public worship. There were people that worshiped God. Samuel the prophet ministered in a circuit and all that. But what a contrast when David became king, right? And public worship becomes part of the public life of the nation of Israel. But you want to ruin your ministry? Neglect your private walk with God. As far as we know, Saul didn't have one. Or if he did, it diminished very quickly. And eventually that will lead to neglect in the public aspect of things as well. That will ensure that you can ruin a life in a ministry. I like the way one man said it. He said this, The best way for God to destroy a man is for him to simply give that man his own way. Is that not illustrated in the life of Saul? 
God's like, all right, fine, Saul. I'm just going to let you make your own decisions, do what you want to do. And Saul made an absolute mess out of it. Now, do we want you to ruin your life in ministry? Absolutely not. I told you I was going to give you a how-to message, and I turned it around on purpose, hopefully to get your attention. But now, if you don't want to ruin your life in ministry, what should you do? Let's review these very quickly and talk about what we should do. If you want to preserve your ministry, number one, continually build on a good start. Saul didn't build on a good start, did he? He started well, God gave him a new heart, and that went away very quickly. In other words, never assume you have arrived. Continually build on your walk with God and your knowledge of Him. Number two, instead of taking credit for the work of others, if you want to build a ministry, give credit to God. Give credit to others. Don't promote yourself. If you need promoting, God can do it. You remember what God told Joshua when they were getting ready to cross over? He said, this day will I begin to magnify thee. When Joshua needed respect so people would listen to him in certain areas of decisions, God was able to do that. Saul figured he needed to do that for himself. But if you want to preserve a ministry, build on your good start. Give credit to God and others. Number three, act in faith, not fear. Assume that God is right and I'm wrong. Don't assume in your own favor, but act in faith, not in fear. You want to preserve a ministry, then number four, you must live unselfishly. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says, In lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And that doesn't mean looking at their grades and looking at their text messages. It means looking out for what's in their best interest, what's to their advantage. In other words, an unselfish life. Number five, you want to preserve a life in ministry, then you must obey God's word unconditionally. Saul rebelled against the revealed will of God. If I want to preserve my life in ministry, then I must obey God's commandments unconditionally. Okay, You don't get to just obey when it makes sense to you. I obey whether it makes sense or not. I obey whether I like it or not. I obey... Because it's right, not because I want to in that sense. I mean, I want to please the Lord. I'm not discounting that. But even if I think, I don't know if I really want to do that, you obey because God said so. If I'm going to obey God's word unconditionally, then I'm not going to allow myself to get talked out of it. I'm going to obey God's word unconditionally. Number six, if you want to preserve your life in ministry, then you humble yourself. Humble yourself at the conviction of the Spirit of God and the confrontation of godly friends. Saul experienced both. The Spirit of God was convicting him. Jonathan tried to reason with him. Samuel tried to reason with him. Saul did not humble himself, but you and I can. And number seven, you want to preserve your life in ministry? Walk with God in private and in public. But it starts with that walk in private. We don't want to see any of you start well and then not finish well. I mean, you started well, you're here, that's great. Continue. Remember we said at the beginning, 1 Corinthians clearly says that the things that were given to us in the Old Testament are given to us for our example and for our admonition for us to learn from. Now, I, we could look at other examples. We could look at David. We could look at Paul. We could look at Joseph. We could look at Daniel. There are plenty of other people who did, in fact, do all of these things, walk with God, walk by faith, obey God unconditionally. It can be done. I just want to give you a warning. 
if we follow Saul's example instead of the good examples, we're not going to end up where we want to be, are we? How to ruin your ministry in seven easy steps? Live like Saul. Reject God's word. Live selfishly. How to preserve your ministry? Walk with God. Obey God's word unconditionally. Be humble. And trust God when you don't understand what's going on. Can you do that? I know you can. Because the word of God commands us to do exactly that. Let's have every head bowed, please, and every eye closed.